I'm glad you brought that up because I would have said something if, if no one else had said anything. Ladies and gentlemen, we went to the gym for 45 minutes and this is the first time that Alex had ever lifted weights before and now he is so under the weather, he, he was in bed all night. So he's not going to be able to get in. Bosco is, is still in 90 hallway with less than 10 seconds left. The wall that he opened, repelling on 90, also nets him his own death, so. really simple. All you need to do is go to gamevo.com. Then type the name of the game that you want to purchase. For example, I really want to pre-purchase Rainbow Six Quarantine, which comes out very shortly. So I type it in, I click on the game, and then I press buy now. I add it to my cart, and then I go to checkout now. Once I'm in the checkout now page, I want to make sure that I apply the discount code JESSGO. Once you've applied that code, then make sure you go to checkout and follow all the following instructions. It's super simple and you'll always get the cheapest price. Alrighty, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to prep phase episode number three, I believe. I don't know who's counting anymore. My name is Jess Goat. I'm joined by the beautiful, the illustrious, and the very, very experienced Lycan. How are you today? <laughs> I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Now, today's episode is a little bit of a change from the usual. Usually we talk about, I don't know, game mechanics and those types of things, what's going on at the moment. Um, but I want to bring it a little bit more into the sphere of my knowledge realm. And of course, very much in the sphere of Lycan's knowledge realm. He's been a coach for quite a long time alongside SSG. Even before I came into the whole pro league scene, I remember coming up against you fiercely at DreamHack Winter for that uh that six invitational spot that was that was wild yeah. um but of course for all of you who are new here the prep phase prepares you for all the topics in rainbow six siege and the pro league and whether or not you can get both sides out of this fingers crossed that's what we want to do we want to give you both sides as best we can now like it tell everyone who you are what you're about obviously i gave you a little bit of intro but i'm sure you know yourself better than i know you uh, how's it going, everyone? I'm Lycan. I coach uh, Space Station Gaming. Uh, for that, I was playing Rainbow Six professionally. I played pretty much all the way through year one. Uh, well, I did play all the way through year one as a pro. Year two um, had a debacle with uh, ESL that landed me back in Challenger League because of the three to five rule. And I played uh, back through Challenger League, made it back to Pro League through relegations and um, then got dropped from my team kind of like a couple weeks right after we made it. How, uh, you know, how 
NA likes to do it. And um, I made another team, went through the first week of Challenger League quals, and then uh, that's right when Space Station was signing, and they asked if I'd be interested in retiring and becoming a coach. So ever since then, it's about it was um, February of two years ago that I became a coach. So a little over two years now, I've been coaching with Space Station Gaming, and um, yeah, it all came like to a big peak, exciting part of our career. February won SI twenty twenty, um, and yeah, we tried. To, we're going to try to do it again. Well, if you guys didn't know that SI 2020 was this year's World Championships, absolutely amazing. That was my first World Championships at the analyst desk as well. So there was a lot of firsts for for quite a few of us there. And and for you specifically, you were able to bring that team, which is, I and I'm going to, I guess, make a bold statement here. SSG has always been a, quite a well-known team because it's always kept consistently good results. I wouldn't say always great results, but you've always kept it the, the top tier. Everyone's known SSG to be a top tier team. So I've always, even from, what was it? That was December or whenever it was, November. Yeah, uh, November Dreamhack. 2018. That was yeah. it. And you guys were a top tier team then. And you're still a top tier team now. That's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do as a team, even through roster changes, you know, ups and downs. You've always been consistent. So I think that that's a very big shout out to your, you know, uh, experience and your effectiveness as a coach and obviously your players and their ability to adapt and grow and keep consistent results as well. So very important, guys. This is why I have Lycan here is because he's one of the major references I have when I point out coaches in Siege or support staff in general. Um, it's very hard to keep your team consistent and to maintain, uh, I guess, leadership over a team for such a long period of time. Um, that's something that can be extraordinarily difficult to do. I know myself, um, I maybe got six good months out of my team before it went downhill. Um, and, you know, you can't always control how that happens, what goes on. So, yeah, obviously very important. But welcome, welcome, everyone. I see you all jumping in chat saying hello. You can ask questions throughout the podcast. You're more than welcome. We may deviate a little, little if we find, you know, you've got a good question or a good point and we'll sort of flow with it from there. But we do have a set of points that we want to go through today. I'm going to read them out just so that you know, and especially if you're watching this later on YouTube or you're listening on Spotify, you'll know that the topics that we're going through tonight, you can either skip through if there's a particular one that you want to listen to or whether or not you're like, hey, yeah, I really want to keep listening because I want to find out about this stuff. We're going to be talking about specifically the factor of age in support staffing, uh, how experience or lack thereof affects support staffing ability. And I'm going to be using a couple of examples there. Uh, why Siege differs in its approach to support staffing compared to other esports and traditional sports, for example. And then I'm going to ask Lycan what he thinks uh, experience he possesses and how that's been effective for him as a coach. And of course, what he thinks is required for a coach or support staff in general, especially if you're an aspiring coach or analyst or support staff in general, that's something you might uh, be able to sort of pick up and walk away with a, a few little bits of advice as well. So that's what is coming in for this particular podcast. I'll try not to take too much of your time. I know you're probably a busy man, uh, but we'll <laughs> see what we can get through today. Um, starting off with the first point, and I'm obviously, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it controversial, instantly but i do want to ask age in support staffing i have a personal issue with their being quite young people especially in coaching roles analyst roles i can see how that happens um 
coaching roles, I don't see how that happens. I don't understand how that progression is made. Um, using the example of your analyst who is underage, can you give us a little bit, shine some light on how you think age affects support staffing? Yeah, I think um, the big thing that first depends on whether or not it'll be effective uh, with age is um, mostly the players themselves. Okay. Um, and, and I would say like it's kind of like you can't really get past it anyway because most of the time the players that are going to be on your team are going to be young anyway mm -hmm. because that's just esports in general. So it's hard for me to say that you can get a, a group of five guys who are mature enough to to deal with a young coach. Mm -hmm. And that's not taking anything away from them. That's just they haven't had enough experiences in life to deal with someone that's their own age, be their boss. That's something like you learn as you grow up is it doesn't matter how old someone is. It more matters what they know and how they use what they know to teach you what you should do. And I, I mean, at a young age, I didn't know how to do that either, I don't think. And kind of, I learned a lot of that in the military. I had people that were, I, because I didn't join when I was 18, I joined when I was 22. Okay. So I had people that were higher rank than me that were younger than me. And mm -hmm. I had to learn that it didn't matter that they were, you know, younger than me, they were my boss. And I had to like listen to them. Mm -hmm. But I don't think a lot of the people that play esports have gone through that especially because most of the people who, you know, are playing are spending so much time at their computer that it's not a whole lot of worldly experience that they get. And that's just part of the nature of gaming anyway. But um, I think it's okay. It's okay to have a young person in your system once you have someone or once you have someone else there, that's not um, of young age. And I, and I don't know, because I haven't seen it, but maybe your head coach could be someone who is say 18 to 20 and then you have your analyst who is um, 40 or something. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically a DNA who is Tempo's um, analyst. Mm. I know they also have a, an older coach too, but I was thinking this when I was looking at the topics was, well, they do have an older analyst, so maybe it would be fine to have a younger head coach. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how that would work out because obviously they, they don't have that system. But um, I think as long as you have someone that the players can look towards other things other than the game because you don't always deal with just the game when you're when you're playing like mm -hmm. if you deal with a bad breakup and you got a game the next day like how how do you yeah. like get that player focused you know there's other things besides gaming that they're going to have to deal with and that i don't think it's like particularly unless they've gone through a lot of bad breakups when they were like 15 16 17 which i don't think is really the case that they won't be able to prepare that person for that that like uh, experience in their life Mm -hmm. So I, I do think that age has a huge part in your coaching staff as long, but like, as long as you can kind of filter it with other people who can bring like that life experience. I even think that there's a chance where if you had an older player, say like in Redeemer's case, when Redeemer was on space station, Redeemer was significantly older than everyone else on the team. He could bring that experience to the team, I think as well. The only problem is, is when, when you have to like, listen to a coach and say, Hey guys, we're not using our time effective here. We need to be doing this. How are you going to listen to the coach over redeemer in that case? Like, yeah. I just don't, I don't see how that would work. And I think that's kind of how it, a lot of teams fall into trouble is that the coach doesn't always get the last say. And that yeah. becomes a problem because then it's like, well, who do we listen to now? Mm -hmm. No, like, and then that, you know, that, 
just becomes a bigger problem down the line altogether for them. Absolutely. So that's, kind of, that's kind of how I see it. That's a really good point. And obviously multiple really good points made there. I want to touch on to the last bit that you said is that there becomes this gray area of, well, who's in charge? Who gets to say what? Who who really runs the team at the end of the day? And I've always made a, a very blunt comment that Siege is a player-run you know, there are all player-run teams throughout all of Siege. They're player-owned. Most of them are player-run. Um, you don't get the last say at the end of the day as a coach because realistically, you are expendable from a structural perspective. You know what I mean? Players own the spot. Um, even in the new setup, players still technically own the spot. They still technically decide who they want, who they don't want. That becomes a majority rules thing, I think. Obviously, that tends to be how teams sort of make their decisions. You know what I mean? It's not sort of the captain who turns around and goes, oh, this player's not working, so we're going to get rid of them. Um, it tends to be, you know, a few players whispering and then they kind of sort of gel together as a majority and they go, this is what we want. There we go. So um, I think that's a huge thing you bring up about there being a blurry line as to who's in charge. Um, I wonder if that's systemic to like the organization's culture. I don't know if maybe you had a culture, a better culture in an organization who said, no, if you want to be part of us in our pay bracket and our ecosystem and everything like that, you adhere to the hierarchy as it is. And then that sets a certain culture. Um, I definitely had a really positive experience when I was with Samsung Italy. And this was, you know, barely a tier three team, but they set that kind of precedent really early. Um, the players were really er eager, like eager to learn. So that sort of naturally set and paved the way for a hierarchy anyway. Uh, but I do wonder, do you have that sort of, I guess, hierarchy or that culture and that ecosystem in SSG? Or do you feel it's more everyone kind of sits in the circle and makes decisions that way? Um, coming from the org or how we like to run it as a team? I guess both. Both would be eye-opening to know. Um, yeah, so um, most people know that Space Station in terms of like high tier one orgs is still a very young organization. Um, when I joined the team, they weren't even ready to bring on a coach. And when they got asked to bring on a coach, they were like, sure, okay. I guess. Okay. And so um yeah at first it was kind of like a if you guys feel like you should and i guess some other teams do then that's fine and um i kind of initially played the role of build as much respect as i can while trying not to step on toes and then kind of got to the point where i am now it wasn't like here's your coach like you're going to listen to him and we're going to go from there it was kind of like i i just I mean, there was times at the beginning where I was careful about some things I said because I didn't want to get dropped. Yeah. So like now I now it's completely different. Um, but that's how kind of it was at the beginning. And now now as a team, to be honest, a lot of it is just a very shared experience between all of us. We have so much experience with Troy and Bosco mm -hmm. and then um Young guys are very excited to play and, and Rampy and, and Fultz. And to be honest, thinking Nate is just kind of like the, yeah, that sounds that sounds good, guys. Like, I'm down for that. He's kind of one of those guys that, like, basically, unless he doesn't really like it, he doesn't really say much. He's kind of like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. So I there's not really a need for me most of the time to be like, well, I'm the coach. I'm going to step in and do 
um, what is best for us and this is what it's going to be because we just have like so much experience across the board. And I'm going to touch on kind of more of that later on in another one of your points. But um, yeah, it's not really, I do think that it would be a lot better if it was like that, where you come in, you're the coach, people already listen and stuff like that. But I feel that's because of what Siege is. Mm -hmm. And um, like, there's just the fact that the game's so young. Like, it's yeah. not like a traditional sport where, you know, he's your head football coach or he's like your your positional coach. You mm -hmm. have to listen to him because that's what we've always done. There's none of that because Siege is so young. So mm. I think that's kind of just how it is like that. And I think it should be completely different, especially for some of these other teams that are out there. I feel like they would be able to move and progress a lot further if they would trust the person that they put in that position and then didn't just have them there for the name and the paycheck. That is a huge statement. Uh, and I'm glad you actually said it exactly the way that you said it, because um, I there's something I've always said and I always felt like was an uphill battle in my own experience, especially going into pro league and whatnot, is a coach is in effect ineffective if when they come in, you already distrust them. They will never, you will always distrust them because there was that initial distrust anyway. You can't build a foundation off distrust. So if you have a coach come in and you already are questioning them and you can't trust them and their ability, that becomes a huge issue before things have even begun. Um, so I'm glad you bring that up. And and being that there's five you know, young adults that you generally have to deal with, that's hard if you've got one or two who are going teetering on the edge of distrust or... Um, I think there's a lot of necessary ego in esports. I think to be an esports player at this tier, you have to have some sort of ego. Um, how you use it is probably the important part of that. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of coaches are given the shaft before things even begin uh, because of that lack of trust. You know what I mean? I think for you personally, coming out, having been a pro player previous to that, you would have already stepped in with a little bit of foundation of trust because, well, you, you used to play the game at that level and whatnot. So therefore you've got to have some knowledge. Um, and that sort of brings me to the back to sort of the main point about age and what we spoke about before. The reason I talk about age and coaching as a specific or being a head coach or having the label of coach is my understanding of every other esport that exists, and of course, traditional sports, like you said, is that the coach is there to be the leader. And it's hard to be a leader if you can't identify someone's mental health, for example, or you can't identify um, someone's uh, distressing life experience or a, or a family death or something, you know, out of the blue, an external factor that is not game related that happens to one of your players. You know, for example, in my case, one of my players was having a baby. You know, he, he was literally having a child at the time and I had to be able to corral the team and say, look, you can't be angry at him for missing this scrim and me needing to sub it. He's having a child. This is the one of the biggest things you can have in your life. And I had to explain all the steps and the feelings and the, the everything and the stress. And I, I feel like if you had a young individual who's barely stepped out of high school and experienced life in their own right, how can we confidently say that they can appropriately look after five young men or women as a right, you know, I'm not sure what you think about that, but that's sort of how I sort of take it out as, as a coaching position. Yeah. I don't think the average person can do it. I think that's like the big statement. I don't 
think that it's impossible that you can find someone out there that can do it because people are born leaders, you know, yeah. and I think that there are people out there that could do it and they could do the work, find out what they need to know to kind of like battle those situations. Initially, when he hears about, you know, his teammate being pregnant or she, sorry, um, they they might not know anything about it, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't do research if they were dedicated to their job. Mm -hmm. I do think that the one place they will struggle is like those immediate decisions that need to be made where, you know, you have a player who wants to break NDA and yeah. post it all over their social media and you're telling them no and they're saying yes. Like, how do you get that guy to stop before you, you can't go and research that he's going to do it or not? And yeah. like, how do you convince that person not to do it and like what do you say i think that's the kind of stuff where you know they will struggle but that's kind of like few and far between and like maybe you never even have to deal with that in the first place but i think if uh, anyone works at something they can they can really learn a lot on their own as, as long as they're dedicated but i think it's just that that like initial knowledge people with that are a lot younger will, will definitely struggle with all right, well, to cap off the age sort of point there, and obviously we want you guys to walk away with both sides of it, a really good side from liking and whatnot. Um, before we finish this point, I want to ask you about your analyst because we kind of skipped over that point uh, a little bit. Um, your analyst, he, he, as far as I know, has a pretty good reputation. I don't know a lot about him, so do excuse my knowledge on him. I, and I've never really met him personally, but um, he has a pretty good rap as an analyst. Um what uh, and I'm going to pry a little bit here. I hope you don't mind. What training and and I guess because the label of analyst these days is someone who should know how to put together quite in depth statistical analysis. Um, some of them also dabble in VOD reviews, etc., of other teams or counter strats of their own team or others, etc. So, what does your analyst provide, and what training has he had in order for him to provide the work that would be necessary of a tier one analyst? Um, Luke's all self-taught actually, and, um, we do it all through, um, a lot of Excel sheets. Uh, that's what I've always kind of preferred. Um, with data, we actually did database and I liked it, but I found the players couldn't read it well enough. Okay. So, um, we went back to Excel sheets with Luke. That's what he was already, that's what he already knew. He was coaching basically the best underage NA team was what he was coaching before us. And, um, so yeah, a couple of the guys said like, you know, that's a lot of data, like data that data does, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I don't understand some of it or I, I like zone out and I just see through it. Like I couldn't get it all the time. So, it, um, yeah, we use a lot of graphs. We use a lot of information and I, I don't want to go into much about like what we actually do on paper, but um, he does a lot. And there's a lot of information on everyone, including ourselves. We are very critical on like even scrims and matches and like trying to find our own tendencies and like basically trying to like counter ourselves. Um, and so he does all of that by himself. Like Sav and I don't do any of that. So he puts in a lot of time into VODs and stuff like that to find the numbers side of it. Mm -hmm. And then, um, yeah, he, he taught all himself that. I think the really good thing that he brings to our table is that he does um, dabble a lot into the underage scene still because they're all his friends. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of times where he'll, like, show me something like, hey, I saw a team do this, and it looked kind of good. It was a little choppy, but 
we could make something of this and make it better. And then we can kind of like turn it into our own. So he brings like more of the scene that I don't really watch to me. And then um, we like go and make it better. Or if we're, and he also doesn't come from the whole time we've been on the team. This is a really good example. We used to have a strat on Villa where we would buck under and then attack up white stair, but it was like not really working for a little bit for us. And we completely trashed it because we got tired of it. And there was one scrim where um, he was like, why don't we have like a buck under strat? Because everyone like bans Thatcher. It's like everyone's bread and butter. Oh, what do we do here? Oh, let's just ban Thatcher. Yeah. So um, he suggested to me one practice. And I was like, well, we don't do it anymore because it didn't work. And then he kind of was like, okay, well, that was like when this guy and this guy were on the team, like, why don't we try it now? And we tried to do it and we started doing it again. And it was working very well. Mm. So we brought it back into the team. So he does kind of like, bring ideas to me that make a lot of sense. And then I just like, kind of like put them together. And um, so he doesn't necessarily have much of the uh, counseling side at all. Mm. He definitely is like a friend to them. And yep. so that helps having another friend that they everyone can trust, you know, we can tell everyone everything that goes on. So Luke's like another person that they can like talk to about stuff going on. And Luke can talk to them about stuff that's going on with him. And it kind of builds that like team camaraderie. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's really good to have someone that sees it differently because Sav and I are both 32 and Luke's 17. So it's nice to have like another perspective there besides just Sav and I that can say, well, why don't you do this? Or why didn't you think of this? And I'd be like, you know what? Yeah, I didn't think of that. So start doing it. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Obviously, uh, self-taught stuff is, it, it's not measurable. That's not something I could turn around and say, well, they've self-taught themselves to a, I don't know, a, a, what do they call it? Like a diploma level worth of data analysis. You know what I mean? That's something you can't physically measure. So that's really important. I think yeah. if you're a, if you're a self-taught individual, especially in, if you're good with numbers, Excel, doesn't take a long time to learn it's not something that should take an awful amount of time to learn so if he adds that sort of spark to your team and he's good with the numbers and you feel like he's effective then age becomes an irrelevant factor there so that's really important to to point out um i think it's it comes down to what you said before about applying yourself if you want to be good at something you need to be able to prove that you're capable in all those areas because unfortunately age will should initially detract from your you know your portfolio because people are going to turn around and say well you really haven't studied that can you sh- prove to me you can do that and i think that's yeah. huge in his in his case there and for you to back him up like that well that that goes to show that he obviously has the skills yeah that's needed cool well i don't think i have any well we we're gonna have to cap you know we're gonna cap it off this way if we're going to make a statement, right? We spoke about age and how in an analyst position, for example, age doesn't have to be a factor. If you apply yourself, you learn, everything's all good, numbers and something. That's not something that's necessarily age specific, etc. How about if I propose to you, make a statement about what you believe about the Rainbow Six Siege scene at the moment and having a coach who's, let's say, 18 years old in a tier one organization do you think it's appropriate or do you think it's inappropriate in a coaching role i personally feel i mean like this kind of this 
it's my my opinion too on this kind of like is thrown out the door because I'm already on one side being as old as I am. Right. But my opinion on it is that if you have that person and it's a one coach system and they're a young person, 18 years old, I think that you're potentially trying to lose on purpose. And that's my, my opinion because the person cannot properly prepare you for every situation you're ever going to go through. There's just no way that you can confidently say that that person can prepare you for every game because there's no way that they've gone through enough life to handle situations that you will have to deal with outside of a game. Mm -hmm. I can tell you one thing that I deal with frequently is, is droughts or, or like, you know, a player that's going through some sort of crisis where they don't believe they're playing as good as they were two weeks ago or whatever, how I don't, that is a very difficult situation to get out of. And, it, and at times it's frustrating, but you have to sit there and you have to work with them on it. And I just don't see someone at 18 years old be, having the patience to do it quickly enough. I think eventually it'll get there. But the fact is you want that, that drought to be as short as possible. Mm. And it's going to happen to everyone. Everyone goes through stints where they don't perform as well as they want to, or you know, they're, they're, they have some sort of like, disbelief in, in their ability for like a short period of time. And your job as a coach is to try to make that as short as possible. And, and, and you, it's just part of what you go through. And I think that if you want someone to be able to do that, that can't be your friend because there's times that's a, what most of these people are too, is the 18 year old is your friend that you trust, yeah. which I think also too is very important. Like you said, you have to have a coach that you trust. Mm -hmm. if you, you can't have, you don't win with a 32-year-old just because you have a 32-year-old. If you have a 32-year-old that you don't trust, you're not going to win yeah. either. But I think if you have an 18-year-old that you can trust, it's not as good as a 25-year-old that you can trust because that person just hasn't gone through a whole lot of scenarios where they've had experience already dealing with it. They have to go through and learn how to deal with it themselves and then like help you go through it. Yeah. So yeah, that's how I, that's pretty much where I sit on it. Well, I'm glad you said it as bluntly as you said it, because obviously I'm going to follow up with my opinion and I'm glad we could both be as, as blunt as we want here. Um, I obviously sit very much on the fence because I think of myself when I was 18, 19, and I was this little egotistical, fresh out of the fresh into university, thought I knew everything. Imagine me as a coach. Imagine me as a coach of five young men who are going through really difficult stages in their life of a high pressure system in a high pressure like in industry of which esports is there's never a break you know it's not like a usual workplace where you go well this is my holiday break and this is my this this is you always must be ready to go at all stages in esports and you go through things that I would say most young people probably never really go through especially if you're in tier 1 so i'm making these statements purely out of tier 1 um, I think, I think there's a lot of training grounds available for young coaches in, you know, tier three, et cetera, that they can go through to learn and then build upon their experience. What I don't want is tier one to be the training ground. This is where we lessen the standards of, you know, coaching and all support staffing. When we allow these training grounds to leak into tier one, tier one is not a training ground. That is when you have made it. You are there because you are the person who is the most well-rounded for that position. You are the most trained or educated or experienced or whatever it might be. So for me, I take pure offense to there being tier one 
coaches, analysts, uh, head coaches, co-coaches or whatever. There's a hundred different titles these days for support staff. And um, I actually don't mind it. We'll talk about it in the next uh, sort of point. Um, I struggle understanding why there are some people in coaching positions who the only skill is that they know how to play the game. That is a fault of our system. And that is something we need to absolutely wring out of support staffing because that is not what a coach is. That's what a strategic coach is, 1000%. But that's not what a coach is. And I think we really need to start hitting the nail on the head there. And I think age is one of the factors that comes into that, unfortunately. It's one of the bigger factors. And then, you know, sort of teetering down to lack of experience or lack of education or training or whatever it might be. You, for example, having military experience, family experience, life experience, years experience, that all couples up into a well-rounded, you know, well-experienced coach. Whereas I could probably name at least six other coaches in the tier one scene around the world at the moment who I can't possibly understand what it is that they bring to the team other than game knowledge, which is unfortunate because these are young minds who need to be fostered in and out of game at all costs. So I suppose that's my sort of point on that, whether or not that makes sense. One last thing I do want to say on it, and I already did kind of touch on this a little bit, but I think it's a good thing to end on too, is just the fact that in the end, I don't think that age would be an excluding factor Mm. for like, let's take Luke, for example, if Luke stays with me for another year, he's 18, but he's been with me for two years. I think that changes for him personally, because He's gone through and he's sat and watched like Sav and I and like his interaction with the team. And he can use that elsewhere because he's learned a lot from that. Mm-hmm. So I don't think in the end, it aid would be like something that could cut everybody off. But I think it's a really easy way to kind of like create some sort of criteria. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to remember that there are exceptions out there. Yeah. And I, I kind of want to give Luke the benefit of the doubt there and say, what he would have actually gone through is what, like work experience. In my country, we call it work yeah. experience or work placement. So actually he does possess the experience that we're kind of saying is a criteria. And therefore he would, you know, that age would become an ex- not a non-excluding factor anymore. It would get overridden by the experience or the work experience that he gained. So I think that's a good point to bring up is that we're not excluding young people, but it often is a predisposition to a lack of other sort of experience points, etc. Does that kind of sum it up good? I agree. Cool. I agree. Awesome. Alrighty, cool. Well that's on my first point there. And I know I'm taking an extra lot of your time. So at any point you need to go, let me know. Uh, we'll try and get I've, through these. I've freed up my schedule, so don't worry about oh, that. We're good on time. Let's get <laughs> it. I love this. Okay, perfect. So my next dot point of which I'm going to read a paragraph from Dizzle, he's Fanatics coach. Um, someone I've gone along with really well for many, many years. Um, I respect him a lot, just like Lycan. Um, he's probably hand-in-hand hand goes with the guys I sort of reference in support staffing. Um, our next point is how experience or lack thereof affects support staffing ability. We spoke about it a lot, but I'm going to go more specific into his little paragraph here. And if I can find that, cool. So he said when bringing on, and I'm going to, preface this by saying this was kind of this paragraph felt to me like a kick in the guts for um Krippel 
um, it kind of took away from the stardom that Capel, I think, has for himself as coming from being a professional coach for so long. And it kind of lowered him down several bars in the world, unfortunately, because of what he had come from. So I'm going to read this and then I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Um, Dizzle in his statement said, I believe that bringing on a strategic coach is the area that would most bolster what the team requires. So they brought Krapel on as a strategic coach. Krapel was Rogue's coach, recently left because he thought he couldn't offer what the team needed. Um, obviously, I'm sure there's a hundred different uh, implied things behind that, but we won't probably won't find out. He then goes on to say, the reason that I labeled it as a strategic coach and not a coach or head coach is the distinction that there are several people that are coaching or leading their teams with little to no educational, practical, or evidential coaching credentials or leadership qualities. Now, that's a huge statement. Not only is yeah, he saying good. that Krapel clearly doesn't possess that and therefore required a different label, but he is, he's actively pointed out that there is there are several people coaching or leading their teams with apostrophes around it, so obviously implying that that's not the case, their teams with little to no educational, practical, or evidential coaching credentials or leadership qualities. Now, he has said what I say probably in far more blunt terms than I've probably ever labeled it. And I'm rather blunt about that point. What do you think about what he said there? Um, yeah, I don't know too much about Krapel's actual coaching, um, mostly just because I'm out of region. I'm actually very close with him when we go to lands, but I don't know his inner workings. I don't like to tell other people what I do, so I don't ask other people what they do. You know, it's kind of just like a respect between the two. I don't want to like try to get something from them because I know I don't want to give them anything. Mm -hmm. um, it that surprises me a little bit, obviously, because of how successful his teams have always been. But like he's he's got the unfortunate like they never can like yeah perform at land going on and like. That's like one of those things that's really hard to get away from. I know that because for a long time we weren't able to perform online. So I've dealt with the same uh, kind of criticism just the, on the other side. And um, I think that he makes very good points, to be honest. I think it's very true whether you want to hear it or not. And I think that if you're any person worth your any grain of salt, you take that and you like try to make yourself better and not cry about it. Mm. Um you know, if you see that you're coaching, but like you're actually not, you're you're just coaching. You you should be taking that seriously, and if you want to win, get like try to learn from it and, and and get better, or try to find someone who can help you. I think a lot of times we're so like competitive about our like losing our job yeah. that we're afraid to ask for help and. I think that's just the nature of the beast with esports is if you try to find someone who can get you to a better point, then you're going to realize, oh, I'm replaceable by this person now. So I think that kind of in itself leads you down a rabbit hole that's hard to get out of. Um, but no, I, I respect Dizzle a lot and a lot of the things that he says. We're on the same page about a lot of things, um, obviously, because we kind of have like a really good like background that's kind of similar as far as like being older playing games for a long time and then switching from playing to coaching and i i mean it's true like everything he says is true there's a lot of teams out there that pick up players and you're like okay well i know that guy's 
their best friend. Like, I know they talk to him a lot, but that's what is that going to offer you at the end of the day? Like when you lose, what do you, what do you say to your friend? Like, Hey, we need more help. You're not enough. Yep. And like, how did how does that person deal with it? Because I think at that point you're handicap you're handicapping yourself because you don't want to say that to your friend. Mm. So, yeah, he ends that sort of that uh, that paragraph that he sort of said. And I'm going to skip a little bit in there, but there you can go onto the fanatic page, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm not paraphrasing anything; I'm reading it verbatim, so I'm not trying to smoosh his words around. So you can read the full statement. But at the end of the paragraph, he goes, "I seek to upskill them, them being Krapel." to the best of my ability to enable them to take the reins and learn how to best coach and manage individuals, players, people, and a team effectively. So I think from Dizzle's perspective, a coach is someone who is a leader, a manager, a, uh, I guess, someone of stature, whether that be experience, education, training, whatever it might be, whether that's age, as we spoke about before as well, you know, being of wise wiseness because of your age or whatever it might be um obviously in his perspective Krapel coming in and having the game knowledge and we spoke about this before or at least i made a statement on it the game knowledge being the strategic part and therefore dizzle is saying we need to start giving labels to some coaches or some support staff let's talk about a support staff that actually fits them and what they do and therefore Krapel and what he can offer is the strategic coach and nothing more how do you feel about giving more specific labels to support staff to better differentiate what where their skill set lies? Um, I think that that's something that would be really good for people to come in and say, this is like what I excel at. Mm-hmm. And um, I think as a head coach, it would help you go through applications knowing what their specialty is. I think what we announce it as to the public doesn't really matter to me personally. Um, if I tell someone, you know, Sob's my assistant coach, that's what I've always said. And they say, well, what does Sob do? And I said, Sob assists me. That's all you need to know. And uh, like, I mean, that's just uh, because like, I, I'm, I hold very dear what we do internally. And mm-hmm. I don't really care for people to know what each of them specialize at. Mm-hmm. But I think that that would be a good system to have placed or if you were looking to get into the scene and you're watching this that would be good terms to use is i specialize in this and this and this mm-hmm. and that would catch the eye of the person that is looking at your application uh we won't i don't think i would ever use terms like strategic coach but i get where it's coming from mm-hmm. i think the big thing to me i just kind of want to talk to them both more i was very surprised by the pickup i didn't see this thing that you okay. read so i didn't know that dizzle put that out but it all very like it, it surprised me honestly because i you know how successful he's always been and then he took basically a secondary role in a mm. smaller region i was very surprised that it happened so there's obviously a lot more that's underneath the surface that we don't know about that obviously people in either europe went up, maybe he wanted to get out of the europe scene for whatever reason I don't know a lot of what's going on, but yeah, there's a lot of words in there that pack punches directly at him. I don't know if that was intentional or not. Um, Because I mean, if you're thinking about it from Dizzle's perspective, and I'm now going to make Dizzle seem like someone he's probably not, but 
if you're in Dizzle's position and you're now going to bring in another coach, like I said, it's very competitive. You have to make everyone else understand that you're above him. Yes. And these are words that he used to tell everyone mm-hmm. how he is above him. And I don't think that really like Dizzle's very much like that, but he did that subconsciously at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I definitely want to talk to the, both of them about it because there's a lot of words in there. There's a lot of words. I kind of took it as, and as someone, I guess, who's spoken a lot to Dizzle and understands the undertones of an Australian dialect and everything like that, the bluntness that we sort of pack a punch with constantly. Um, I took it as, and excuse my analogy on this, but as if he was subtweeting the world of Siege. Yeah. You know, I don't think it was Krapel specifically. I think think he used Krapel as an example, as a kind of uh, scapegoat to get his opinion out there about a whole host of, I guess, issues he has with the scene because him and I have discussed it before. Obviously, guys, I don't talk about private discussions I have with people without their permission, so I won't say anything there on that. But um, we've had discussions about it before, and and his paragraphs don't don't surprise me given his previous attitudes on those kind of topics. So um, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think Krapel would have read that and thought too positively about that specific paragraph. I can't imagine anyone who goes from being top dog then to second in charge. Second. Let's say, yeah, second yeah. in charge um, sort of feels that good about it. But surely for Krapel, he feels good that he's part of, you know, the ecosystem again because it can be very hard mm-hmm. to, to find yourself another team and rebuild and sure. – rebuild that foundation so surely yes uh but i wanted to bring that sort of uh that paragraph in because firstly obviously i want to talk about separating roles in coaching um and how i think that's important from a uh an experience standpoint like if i went and i said to someone let's uh, we'll use me as a really good prime example here um i've studied a lot of psychology i would say i excel at mental coaching um given the opportunity to mental coach players, I, I do really well. Um, I, I know the game to a medium to high level. I'm extraordinarily good at counter strutting. I would say making strats for my team is probably where I lack the most uh, because I always feel like pulling my players too far out of their comfort zone is not something you should do as a coach. And I've always had internal conflict about those kind of factors. So maybe that would be my biggest weakness as a coach. Um, and I, I more excel at the mental side. So for me, I would turn around and say, well, my, my education and this and my experience in this, and I guess a little bit of military, nothing like you, of course, but a little bit of military experience, gaining some leadership and understanding hierarchy and how to talk to you know, a squad and everything like that. Um, that. That puts me in a good leadership position. Therefore, I should apply as a head coach because I can provide leadership and mental coaching and understand. I don't think... Although I am data trained and God, I hated it in my master's degree. I really don't enjoy numbers that much, even though I did it for a long time. Um, I wouldn't apply for that because I feel I excel in other areas. So this is the kind of differentiation I want to make, or at least I want Siege to start to go down that road because then we start to get people who are actually trained or experienced in those areas doing what they should be doing best does that kind of make sense yeah i think it does make sense i don't know if um someone that can deal with players problems necessarily needs to be at the team level either Mm -hmm. um i know that there's 
orgs like Astralis who has someone that does that for the entire organization. And it's not just at the team level. So, um, you know, that could be just like a job that you get over there. But I, I definitely do think it's needed. There's definitely roles that need to be um, handled that not always one person can do. And, or even if like the person can do it, they're they're not, you know, as proficient at one thing or the other. Um, and you could definitely bring in someone who's way more uh, like they're that like that's the, what they specifically are good at, and they can help you. Like I said, like the big thing is always trying to get through something as fast as possible mm -hmm. without trying to like ignore the problem mm -hmm. and. And you need people who are experts to be able to do that. And you can't just do that without having the experience and the knowledge and the training. So, Good point to bring up. Um, I guess my last point, I totally forgot to bring it up. I was sitting, and I won't name the team, obviously, but I was sitting at uh, Six Invitational in uh, the hotel and one of the teams, and I really love chatting with the teams. You learn so much stuff about them. You humanize them. They don't just become players anymore. They become people as well, which I love. And um, I think the big thing there for me was uh, they told me that their recent coach pickup, uh, well, not recent, it wasn't even recent. It was the coach pickup that they had, they felt was great, but they lacked what they needed in a new coach. And I said, well, why did you, why did you pick up that person if you feel they're lacking in the thing that your team needed? And they said, well, they were, they were a coach before, so you'd think they'd know how to, deal with team mentality and stuff. I said, no, guys, every coach specializes in something different. I said, that's always been the problem with Siege is that you think you're getting what a coach is and then you get an analyst. And I don't want to be rude. I do, I'm not trying to be rude to people. It, it would be the same thing as me is like turning around and saying, oh, well, I'm, I'm not a numbers geek. I did analyst work. I know how to use Excel, but I, I, it's not my passion. It, I, I effing hate it for love of God. Put me in words, put me in counter strats, put me in mental coaching. Sweet, let's go. I'm running my game. And you picked a person who doesn't do coaching. They do counter stratting or they do stratting or they do uh, mostly analyst work. And just because they were a coach before and you didn't vet them properly, well, you live with what you chose essentially. So that's a huge, like when I sat there and I realized that, I... I definitely, I definitely feel we are doing the wrong thing. We are not setting the right precedent as tier one coaches. If a team picks up another tier one coach and they go, we didn't get a coach, we got an analyst. Isn't that horrible? Yes. And I don't, I know this happens because it's happened to another team that wasn't at SI. So I know it's happened to multiple teams, but there was a, a team that I went and greeted at an event I went to and they introduced to me their new head coach or their new coach that was going to be behind them um, at the event. And I said, don't you have a coach? And they're like, well, he actually does more analyst work. And so we needed someone who could do strats and stuff like that. And I was like, and they've already had that coach for at least a year that <gasps> I knew of that at that point. And I was like, now you're just deciding to do this. So it like, it kind of blew my mind uh, that it happened, but I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, so it it's that it's happened. It's so more than just who you're talking about because mm -hmm. I know of another case because they weren't at SI. Mm -hmm. um, but no, 
I mean, the the I think the biggest problem is that a lot of people just look at the LFTs and they're like, well, we need one, and this guy is also needing a home, so you know, look at we can hold hands now. Mm -hmm. But I, I can tell you when I found data um, a year a year ago, back in like, well, it's almost a year and a half ago now, back December of 2018 was when I did my first search um, for an analyst. And that's when we became the first team with three coaches. Cause I came out with two out of that. Um, we, I put out a LFT or like look searching for, for analyst and I got 150 applications and I went through every single one of them. I don't think that a lot of teams are willing to do that. And that's a yeah. problem because there was, names that i would can't tell you but there was names in there that i should have picked if i would go off of the system that most other people use the the person that's most well known and they were interested in doing it i didn't pick those people i ended up coming out with a guy named data that no no one had ever heard of before but i saw how good he was with numbers and it really worked with me personally we found out it didn't work really well with the team eventually which that came out way later, but he, I'm a huge numbers person mm -hmm. and he would just lay out data, like just database wow. with numbers. And so I could just look at all the numbers and I loved it, but it just didn't work for the players as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, I would have never found him if I didn't do that. And mm -hmm. I think that's what you have to do is you have to actually get down and say like, you know, can you counter strat? Yeah. Well, I've done it before. Okay, can you show me an example? And then they just show you a wall of text of like exactly right? what you do scripted. And you're like, oh, how do you, that's Thank okay. You. That's not how I see it. And so there's people who will even say they can do things that I don't believe that they can, or they're not very good at it, or they need more practice with it. And um, unless you're willing to ask the hard questions and mm. unless and like the person can answer you honestly, that's why I think trial basis is really good too, but that's mm -hmm. a, that's a whole nother topic. But I think having someone on trial to prove themselves is really important as well. Yeah, no, that, that brings back fond memories of being a nobody in the middle of Australia, essentially, because unfortunately the ANZ scene is still kind of full of essentially, you know, nobodies in the scene, you know, even there's pro league players in our scene and people, you say their name, people are like, who? And I'm like, oh, come on, it's a pro league player from ANZ. Like, you should know who I'm talking about, you know? And <laughs> people don't know because it's just such an underdeveloped scene, unfortunately. And, you know, little old nobody me, I was a, just, I was barely a CL player. And I remember Penta going, oh, we want you to do this trial thing. So I, 3,000 words later, all these fancy pitches, blah, blah, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, here's my application. They're like, love it. The boys just want to <laughs> double check do another and i'm like are you, are you kidding me i slaved away at this thing and the time zones were horrible at that time so i was like to 3 a.m whatever it takes let's go write another whole counter thing analysis of vods everything and after the second one that's when they finally turn around and say all right let's meet well we gotta ask you questions and i'm like all right i proved myself i'm a nobody to them nobody knows me overseas i don't even know if they're gonna take me seriously but let's give it a go they're clearly interested enough to give me an interview and grill me in an interview. So for me, that proved that there are opportunities for people who 
you know, aren't well known. And, and I have a problem and obviously another topic, you know, we won't branch into it. I have a problem with recycling pro players because they're a pro player, just because they have the tag of a pro player. You know, what about these new up and coming gunners? You know, like we're missing out on so much opportunity. So I think it's the same in support staffing. Um, oh, he was a coach of this team and they did pretty well, but does he meet your criteria? Does he actually do what a coach needs to do? Or did the players just have such a good ecosystem be around themselves that they were able to self-coach even or self-work themselves out? And that's why they were a good team or they did good events and, and placed well. So, um, yeah, that's a good that's a good thing to bring out. And actually, it reminds me, I probably still have all those little application sheets yeah. for Fantastic. I actually so want to say a short point for anyone who's interested in being a coaching. I'll do this a couple times because people, I'll, I'll, I'll say this first. People DM me constantly about different tips mm. to be a coach, and I don't answer them. But there's a there's a reason why I don't answer them, and it's kind of selfish and mean. But why would I help you get better at a job I'm doing? Ooh, it's very true, isn't it? But at the same time, that's what we're kind of here for, too. Mm. So I will say, if you're looking to do an application for a coach and they ask you for counter strats mm. or they ask you to prep for a game, that's what I do constantly. I say, we have a game coming up. You can choose the team that we're playing. It has to be in our region or mm -hmm. EU because those are the ones that most pe people know the most, what I know the most. Prep for that team and give me exactly what you'd give me for that team. Don't give me something that will take me five hours to get through because I don't have that kind of time during the week. So like you wouldn't have that much time during the week either to prep that. Yeah. So it's unrealistic what you're giving me. You're giving me way too much information. Mm -hmm. If you want to go above and beyond and do a lot for me personally, I would much rather you say, um, like give me like four maps instead mm -hmm. of giving me like an, a five hour breakdown on one map. Yeah. Because that's unrealistic. And yep. it won't happen. So usually when I see those, I'm like, I don't even know how good this person is because they just spent way too much time on this one map. They don't have that much time on that one map. Mm -hmm. So that's, little tip for everybody. That is a huge point. And yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I know we're sort of digressing a little bit here, but that is huge, ladies and gentlemen. I've had so many people who go, hey, look at my analyst sheet, you know, my Excel sheet, or look at my counter strat. And I go into the analyst sheet, the Excel sheet, and there's 20 tabs at the bottom, keeping track of the most menial numbers that a coach will never use. I'm so sorry. I'm glad you're keeping track, but you are wasting your damn time because everything you put in that maybe 17 of those tabs, a coach will never, ever, ever use, will never be able to give over to their players and make anything useful out of it. Because if I want to know out of 20 maps, how many times the first person entered a barricade or something like that, I, that's never going to work. That's not something that someone needs to know. We need to know other factors and you need to be more concise. And I think this is one thing people do not understand is that when you do a counter strat or you do anything, you do a strategy for your team, what I used to struggle with is making my team understand is that I had just done 4,000 words worth of work and I took that 4,000 words and I turned it into 1,000 for you. You know why? Because it is digestible. It is concise. It makes sense. And my players don't have the time of day to go through my 4,000 words. So a good coach can mush that and get the important stuff out at the end, the good, the juicy stuff, stuff that actually means something and put it into short words and make it clear 
and understandable and digestible, like I said. So that is a huge factor of a good coach, I feel. And I think it's why a lot of coaches are given a lot of flack as well because, oh, well, they only did this much work. Well, no, behind that much work is this much work, but we give it to you in a way that saves you time. And that's that's what I believe mm. a good leader should be able to do. Yeah, and I don't even think it saves them time as well. It, it also increases productivity, I believe, by not knowing as much information because there becomes a certain point where you're reading everything I'm putting down, you lose your attention span. It, you're Everyone's human. So yeah. like, if I give you more information than you're willing to, if you're able to handle, then you start losing any progress that you were making. That's a really good point, yeah. And I'm glad that we were able to bring that point up for you guys because I know there's a lot of people, you get DMs, I get a bunch of DMs, I get a lot of people who come into my streams asking for advice. So that advice there for everyone. And if you know any friends or whoever, or teammates who want to learn more about it, that's a really good point to take. Now, we have another dot point here. And this one's a little bit more analytical for you guys. And I've got it here to say why Siege differs in its approach to support staffing compared to other esports and or traditional sports. Now, I'm bringing up here, for example, I'm going to start off with this. In America, uh, in the North America, I should say, um, and you'll obviously understand this far more than I do, but a lot of the universities there have um, teams, you know, whether it's Overwatch or it's League of Legends or whatever it might be, they've got esports teams that are attached completely to their university. So it sets a lot of reputation. They, they're, they're structured quite hierarchically because they need to be because it's a university-based team. There's a lot of reputation on the line, same as football teams, etc. So I'm going through uh, one of the university's um, job position descriptions recently that they uh, they put up and it said looking for head esports coach it's got a big pdf document which i won't go through but it says um to apply for this position please uh have a look at the following dot points and then it scrolls down here position information you need to be able to work with coaching esports student athletes so at university you know i call players cognitive athletes but in this case they're called student athletes and goes down and it says position duties and performance standards. Teaching, coaching, 50%. You need to be able to instruct, teach, and coach student athletes during practice and competition. Conduct video analysis and instruction as a teaching and preparation tool. Plans, practice, and or competition strategy. Then you need to, it says 30% recruiting, 15% administration, so on and so forth. Then it goes down at the bottom and it says position qualifications minimum required bachelor's degree, preferred master's degree. Okay, so I'm just reading verbatim what's on this, right? And this is not this is one of 10 I read. One of 10. All having the same position requirements. Minimum required first aid CPR, obviously. Uh, most education staff need to have that. Um, and then... Work experience, minimum required coaching and or teaching experience, at least one year competitive esports experience involving multiplayer online video games with team-based elements and expert knowledge of blah, blah, blah game or a similar game, which therefore would be able to transfer over the same game knowledge. Ability to demonstrate a vision for collegiate esports program, so on and so forth. Preferred experience coaching and or playing collegiates as well as a master's degree, as well as experience in leadership and or team-based coaching and this is this is for i'm going to say 
a team that probably isn't going to rake in a lot of money, okay? If at all. What do we think about that? Because in other esports, clearly that is the minimum. And we're talking about obviously very big tier one esports here. I'm obviously pulling this from tier one. And if we want to be a tier one, do we think this is the direction we need to go in? No, um, I don't believe so. And I, I'm like very anti-university, mm -hmm. I guess. I do have my degree in software engineering, mm -hmm. but I do believe that there's a lot of things that you can learn in life as mm. I have without the schooling that I got. Yep. Um, I believe that you can learn most of what you need to now, not so much back then, but now you can mm. learn a lot of it just on YouTube or mm -hmm. like finding out what books the teachers require and doing it on your own. And I think that there are people that actually do that. There's a lot, there's a lot of people that have this movement for learn it on your own or go intern under someone who is good at their job yeah. and then go do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And people that see how good you are don't care so much when you don't have the degree at that point. I think mm -hmm. a big statement is to be made about the fact that if you spend all that time getting that master's degree, you won't actually know how to win because you're spending too much time theoretically learning how to win yeah. that you don't have, like you have to then after you're done doing that, mm -hmm. learn the emotions that you go through and how to combat them. Cause mm -hmm. there's, it's one thing to learn something in a book, but it's another thing to go through it completely. It's completely different. And yeah. I think if you spend all that time getting a master's degree, I think it doesn't matter at a college point too. That's what I was going to say initially, but it's kind of rude. Like it doesn't matter if the college wins or not. Right. And I'm just going to say like more when you're in college, like it's something fun to do. It's something cool. But like, I don't look at the college league pick to go onto my team you look at the challenger league so right. that league doesn't even really matter as much it's kind of mm -hmm. like experience for them to maybe even go there afterwards or they don't have to go there at all but it's mm -hmm. not like a system like traditional sports like you're we're picking from them yeah so they're the college is more looking for someone to help grow individuals which i think that's more important at that level so i think mm -hmm. that's good for them i just don't think it works for me personally yeah so when we're talking about, and when I'm talking about this more to the listeners right now, um, tier one esports is more like League of Legends, Dota, et cetera, like that. They yes. have quite high expectations for support staff. Um, from what I've read and been able to go through, through YouTube videos, I do quite a bit. I did quite a bit of investigation before, and that's how I pulled up that little uh, job description, what I thought was a, a little bit of a laugh myself. I mean, it, having gone to university myself, the only thing that I took from it that could even help was mental coaching. And you have to put that into practice. And to put that into practice, you need experience. So that was a little bit funny to me to say, well, yeah, on paper, you might know the psyche or something like that. But God, you've got to work with people to know how that actually works in person. Um, and then uh, there's another, and I'm going to, I want to quote it correctly. There's another article, and I believe it's by the Esports Observer, yes, um, and about performance coaching and how that assists tier one teams, etc. And um, what you should do or why a team should have one, essentially. Um, and it says, a performance coach can assist your team by creating a safe learning environment whereby any emotional, physical, or mental stress is taken care of immediately. And then they list things like sports therapists or nutritional advisors or uh, mental coaches, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so team psychologists, you know, like we saw in Australis, how they brought someone in to, to help with that area that they lacked, et cetera. Um, and then it goes on to say, 
Uh, and I don't know which coach it is because they don't quote it, which I think is silly. Uh, that would assist me in understanding which game it is. But it says, if you can get someone who is qualified in something to assist on your team, why haven't you? Do you think that is something that we need to apply in Siege, especially if we use my previous example of a team who felt that they were hindered mentally and that they didn't have that opportunity? And we've seen a really good example from Astralis, for example, that they went out and they said, well, this is our problem. Let's get a professional for this problem. Do we need to start seeing more of that in Siege rather than just hoping someone magically fixes it? Um... I would say, knowing the background, if you're going to ask for someone like that, you're worried about what it's going to do to your bottom line, which is like, this is really bad. But if you, I mean, think about it. If you're bringing on another person, they have to pay that person. Yep. They're not going to pay you more. So you hurt your chance at making a more comfortable living for yourself by... Mm -hmm bringing this extra person on so now you need to weigh the risks of how bad do we need that person mm -hmm. i do also agree that a performance coach is something that is good to have if you have players that don't already have the right mindset i think that's clear that's like the first clear point you need if you have players that are they want to win and they don't have egos and they can kind of not really fix themselves but they can tell you when they need to be fixed yeah for the most part as long as you're like slightly able to talk them through things you don't really need an extra person to do that mm -hmm. um it more comes into when people don't express their feelings people hide hatred for their teammates people that don't understand that their idea is not always the best idea when, you, when you're dealing with those kind of people that are just like, you know, we actually call them not coachable. It's like with the term we use for it, but they are coachable in the end. It's just, they're a lot harder to coach. And so if you have those kind of players on your team, I'd say that that's when you want to like look into bringing someone in separately. Because once you bring in someone separately, that's a big statement to make to your team. I had to bring in this extra person because you guys couldn't get it done. Yep. So you now need to deal with this extra person to listen to. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big statement to make. But I don't think most people need that as long as they're true to themselves. But okay. that's a hard thing these days for some kids to do. So, Yeah. And I, I think for me, and I guess if we're showing both sides of it here, I struggle because I see how it's done in other T1 esports. Um, I guess Siege is like teetering on the 1.5, but we won't get into the nitty gritties of that. Um, yeah. I see other esports in tier one and their requirements and how stringent and structured and hardcore they are about their support staff. And they take it really seriously um, it, for the most part. Um, and then I, then I compare it with Siege and I just, I feel like when I compare it, I feel embarrassed a little bit because I feel like our scene is so underdeveloped in the support staffing area. And whether that's finances, like you said, or that's, um, the wrong culture maybe around how we go about thinking about support staff or whatever it might be that I don't, I don't feel like we fit up there with the big dogs. You know what I mean? I feel like we, we do things so, so differently and we have different standards that um, it's hard to, to justify me turn around going, yeah, we're a T1 esport, 
but this or but this. Yeah. And that's the one worry I have is that if we want to set a standard, yes, okay, we might not need all these fancy things. We might not need, you know, uh, highly educated people to bring these teams up into certain levels, but what we currently have maybe doesn't work and it, for, for certain reasons because we can't set that same standard for whatever reason, finances, etc. So I guess, yeah, being the devil's advocate for your point, um, I worry about us moving on up and setting the wrong... I, I, I don't want us to constantly set a precedent that is the wrong precedent to set. And once it's set, it's really hard to undo. Yeah, and I think that it it's like one of those things that's self-fixing. But it's like, I get where you're coming from, but my belief in this... I mean, possibly not true at all. But I believe as games develop, these those kind of things just happen on their own. Um, and I, I'm mostly going to use League of Legends because I come from that initially. They didn't have all of what they have now at yeah. the beginning, not even close. And they kind of like, you know, as the game got more successful and, you know, things started coming to it, it started giving back to its community. And now it's become like what it is. And I think that in time, Rainbow will still will get there as well, as long as we continue to grow the way we are. And I think a big thing to point out, I think we are very similar to League in that way, is that even though Rainbow has had other games before, it never was very popular on PC. Mm -hmm. It was mostly a big console game. And Siege has never been like a really a game before that's been popular. Like, there's no game like Siege. I guess yeah. you can just say that pure and simple. There's, there's not. And so, you know, if over time it will grow and it will like i think those pieces will fall into place if, if it continues to get as popular as it is and it's kind of one of those things like if you look back in year one i joke about this all the time i played for a team that when i got signed the, my contract purely i got beef jerky that's what i got for the season i didn't make any money i got six things of beef of savage beef jerky that's how i got paid for the whole season and like now look at us like these guys yeah. are making salaries where they don't need a real job yeah and so like it has even grown from the beginning to what it is now um but we've always said you need the viewers and mm -hmm. with the viewers come the orgs and then with the orgs comes the money and then it, it just keeps building from there but if you don't have one thing you can't have the other and i think eventually it'll get to the point where hopefully we are there or siege will be gone it will be either one like we'll either grow or not but i do think that in time we'll get there so you just think it's sort of a growth thing that by the time, you know, and, and I think, and I always boldly state it, that esports isn't, it's not, you know, a passion thing for everyone. For a lot of people who are involved in esports, it's a money thing because there's a lot of freaking money in esports. It's a business at the True. end of the day. And, um, and I'm talking more of the higher ups here, the people who actually deal in the money and everything like that, not sort of the lower end of things like, you know, so the managerial or downwards and everything who are making the salaries from the top. Um, you, I guess you're sort of speculating that as we grow, we get more money, the more money becomes available, then we can invest in maybe people who cost more, let's say. And then as a yeah. result, we then get higher quality, this, that, or whatever it might be. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I, and I, I do think, you can even see it like I gave the examples of no salary and then like mm. just sponsored goods and now salary and sponsored goods. And that's kind of growing very slowly. Also to the fact, I don't know how much other people know about the kind of um, crap 
I was given when I went to a three coach system. Uh, there was a lot of people that were like, Blyken can't do anything on his own. He's getting three coaches. He can't do anything. Like, what are you going to do? Like, what's your other coaches say? And I was getting a lot of that when I initially went to three coaches. They were cracking that I could, they were cracking jokes about the fact that I had to get all of these coaches because I couldn't do my job on my own. But those same people now, like, use my system as an example. Yes. Or there's other teams now that are like, three coach systems are the way to go. Like, everyone should do it. Like, like, let's get those three coach systems. But when I was the first one, everyone initially was like, what the heck are you doing? Like, you, you can't do this on your own. So I think eventually, like, yeah, there'll be one team that first gets that system and it'll be like a joke. And then people will realize it works and then they'll go to it. Mm-hmm. And then it'll kind of like keep going. From there. At least that's that's my belief. And it could be wrong, but that's what I believe. Well, I definitely agree with you, but of course, uh, if you disagree, you're more than you're more than uh, allowed to walk away with it in chat and you know feel what you want to feel. We would just want to give you guys both sides as best we can. However, we are finally up to my final point that I wanted to get to, and of course, as we get to our final point, if you guys have questions, please ask them. Don't walk away and then message us later on Twitter and be like, "Hey, that point you made at one hour eight minutes." No, please don't do that. Ask now. Of course, if you're listening to this later on YouTube, Spotify, etc., um, and you have something you're really dying to know about, I'm sure we could possibly get to your message. Or when either of us are streaming, probably a good time when we're open, open voice to actually ask us that. Um, I believe you're still streaming semi-regularly, Lycan, yes? Unless you ask the people in chat that follow me. I, I I tend to miss streams, but typically Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, but I miss at least once, sometimes more than once. Ooh. But I try my best. I try my best. Well... Let's say at least once a week, you're hitting the airwaves on Twitch in some way, shape, or form a little bit, yeah? Yes, I try. Good. Well, there you go. Well, you guys could catch. And on Twitter, I do just want to make... I talk a lot on Twitter, so if you at me on Twitter, I'll usually... I was gonna say you're pretty vocal on Twitter. I I, yes. I enjoy reading your comments often. Um, I'm sorry, I'm one of those people that does Twitter lurking, so I'll read things, and I'm like, yeah, I love that, and then I don't press like. I feel yeah. like that makes me a shit person. I'll be honest. Like I'm like, yeah, love the point you made. Keep scrolling, <laughs> right? I could do the little like thing, whatever. Yeah. I, I'm gonna get better at it. I'll tell you what. I do read your stuff a lot. It comes up a lot on my timeline. Um, but you managed to snag the liking tag all in your just liking, no R six, no nothing else, right? So if you guys want to follow yes. liking, you can find him on Twitter. How many wolf loving or werewolf loving people out there are absolutely mad at you right now because you took the the whole tag to yourself and you got the little tick next to yourself. I know. Beautiful. There was huh? someone the other day that added me in some weird werewolf thing. And no. I was like, that's not me. I was like, that's not me. But yeah, no, I, I got lucky with uh space station take care, takes care of us really well. And a lot of us got OG tags, which is cool. That's awesome. I love that. Um, and yeah. it's good to hear good organizations, especially ones that stick around for a long time. I've always been a Team Secret fan myself. So it's good to see I will probably still get to be a Team Secret fan, even though it's not going to have the OGs in it that I originally, you know, followed. So yeah. um, it's good to see good orgs. And I think you guys have a really strong following. So it's really not a surprise, you know, whether it's your team or the content creators that are involved. That's awesome. Um, all right. On to our last point. What experience... Actually, I'm going to alter this question because we have kind of gone over this a little bit. What, 
I guess if we want to cap this off, what do you think now into into the future? Let's say let's say this new system of financial ecosystem with the pilot skins and everything boosts organizations uh income exponentially let's say it even doubles in the coming year or two right and all these organizations are are having their finances boosted exponentially what do you think the future of support staffing in rainbow six siege needs to look like and therefore what do people need to be able to achieve or have experience in to reach that tier as a result of let's say this hypothetical situation which very well may come true in the near future um i think kind of what dizzle's already striving for is a really good example um you have a head coach who is someone who needs to still like i think be very work very closely with your strategic coach because the big the big question there, and this is already segue, sorry, but who's going to stand behind them is like a big question I had initially when I saw that. It's, well, do you have your head coach who's your mental person behind them for timeouts if they're losing? Mm. Or do you have your strategic coach behind them to tell them what strat to run next? It seems like that, that one's like, I think, going to be very team dependent. But you have to have someone who can help um, guide young people in their workplace and a, and a head coach. And that is very vague because it's, there's a lot that goes into it, but that person needs to be like basically the team manager that you don't have that's given from the organization. Yeah. Cause every org also has a team manager, but that person honestly does mostly just like travel and administrative work and stuff like that. So you need someone close with the team working with them every day that knows everything about you that can like tell you like, Hey, remember this when you're doing this, like, you know, you get back in like the right headspace. Then uh, you have your strategic coach, which I would like to just call it uh, assistant coach. I mean, that's yep. pretty much what I call Sav, but I mean, for most parts, he's a strategic coach. He helps me like day to day with scrims and stuff like that. And um, critiquing mistakes and, coming up with new ideas and like when teams start beating us on something in scrims, seeing how that beat us, mm -hmm. why it beat us and what we do next, stuff like that. And then you have your your analyst mm -hmm. who will make sure that there's no surprises come game day. Basically the person that's going to show up like the day after your match and be like, this is what I have for your next match. Mm -hmm. This is everything you need to know in a nutshell, broken down in like different reports and, you know, being able to not only enter data, mm. but be able to also present data, which are two very different skills. Um, and being able to ask questions based off of any, I mean, it's basically like a presentation to your boss at the end of the day, someone who can talk well enough about information and, um, yeah, help you when going forward and then make sure they're there with you the whole week, just mm -hmm. in case. I think a big thing analysis, or our analyst does is uh, through scrims, if he's told me something that I forgot, but he sees them doing it in mm -hmm. scrims being like, don't forget, they like to go study side here. Or, you mm -hmm. know, don't forget, they prefer to bring a buck here or, you know, things like that. Um, being able to be like close knit, everyone kind of works together, but everyone has their own like separate roles and kind of mm -hmm. like, knows their place like if luke sees something and he knows he's not supposed to say it, he dms me and then i tell the team so like we have like a structure 
that everyone knows like this stuff comes from me this stuff comes from him and um it's a lot more organized than uh, i think most teams probably are that that's probably out of this entire podcast what you said then about everyone knows their place and that luke will dm you because it's not essentially i don't know the best phrase of this because god it's coming up 6 a.m my time but it's not his right to say it because of his position and you spoke before about there needing to be a delineation between roles and who's the leader and who's not the leader you know the second in charge and we spoke about dizzle and now his new uh, strategic coach Capel. how if one steps over the line it becomes blurry and you mm. you deviate away from there being any blur by having this set up with luke to say well that's my role to say that and and i feel like uh, that's beautiful to hear i really want to commend you on that and luke as well i don't know if you'll ever watch this but especially pass on uh, my commendation to him because to take away that ego and go i may have come up with this but i don't need to take full responsibility or i don't need to take or you know the word i'm thinking of um uh, and show the team that i came up with it it's about dropping that ego and going what's best for the team in this scenario is i dm like it and i let him know hey i found this huge hole in the strat or something and it comes out of your mouth and the team might think it came from you but it, it didn't and i think that's that's huge that's a huge yeah. thing that's amazing that is yeah wow credit credit is the word thank you artillery i'm looking for credit it's not about who <laughs> takes credit for it. It's just that the team got better. I think uh, one thing that we preach a lot, and this is kind of like the point that we were coming away from. I do have some stuff I do want to say about it. Mm. Um, we say it, I say it a lot to the guys. And, and I think Luke has really taken to it is that winning has to be, winning has to mean almost everything to you. Now, there's obviously things in life that are going to be more, important such as your significant other or in family and stuff like that but when it comes down to like you know the team and stuff do you go out with friends on friday or or do you practice like how much does winning mean to you and that's a big thing in ssg we talk about and and it's like a kind of a big big subject to talk about but the most of the time what i use it for is does if someone comes up with a good idea and you come up with a good idea, do you have the ego to set aside your good idea and realize that theirs is better? Because at the end of the day, you want to use the best idea to win. Yes. So winning has to mean that much to you that you're willing to, at the end of the day, try to pick the best idea and run with it. And if it doesn't work, maybe like something happened or whatever, but not being like, well, what about my idea? Yeah. And like, you know, move on to the next thing. And I think that's really hard to find in people. I think that's a great quality to find in an IGL, a very yeah. diff difficult quality to find in an IGL that I think that Troy's like better than anybody in the world at. Wow. Because he's seen a lot of different ideas that he comes up with ideas constantly. But I think um, Fultz is actually really good at coming up with ideas as well. He was an IGL on his CL team before he came to us and Fultz will come up with ideas and Troy had already said something. Then he's like, wait, okay, stop. We're doing that. Like, let's switch. We're doing that now. Like go. And he can do that at like in a second mm -hmm. because you'll see Troy like retweet. I joke about him all the time, but he retweets coach quotes all the time. I love Troy it. Lo 
Troy loves winning and you can see it. And like, that's how important it has to be to you mm-hmm. is you have to win so bad that you have to leave your ego at the door. And the rest of the team has really like kind of fallen in line and all like we all kind of taken that concept to the degree that, you know, it's about leaving your sensitivities at the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though I'm the coach, if I come up with something and Rampy's like, well, I mean, that doesn't make What about this? And I'd be like, no, what? You're right. Like, yeah. okay, we're stopping. We're doing that. That makes way more sense. We're doing that. Mm-hmm. And being able to do that at any level is is huge when it comes to any competition, traditional sports or esports. I got I got a little bit of goosebumps over this whole little passage of talk because <laughs> that I think is why I I tuned into Siege so much was because it was a team and it was a team that became one through a common objective. And if you all had that same objective, it wasn't about who was better than who or who gunned or who didn't. And this is why I'm a huge supporter of support players, you know, IGL support players, etc. because I think they're hugely underrated and they have a huge impact on the on the game that you cannot physically see sometimes. And um, this is why I love Siege um, so intensely much, um, you know, even enough to leave, you know, my country, my content and everything to sort of chase it a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um that's that's a huge i loved hearing every second of that actually that was yeah that was really nice to hear and i'm sure there's a lot of people in chat who are just sitting there nodding their head going yeah i feel that i understand that um and it brings up a cute little memory of mine with Sabos actually which is why he's one of my favorite players in the world i've never worked with a more respectful and and a player who wanted to learn more than him i i couldn't mm-hmm. name a person in the world i've ever worked with like him and there was one day and I said to him, I said, I feel like you're aiming a little bit too far to the right on his angles. I said, I think you're just aiming. And he goes, Jess, I love when you bring stuff up. But in this case, I think I'm right because um, generally uh, with my resolution, and then, you know, they remember when everyone changed to 4.3 and everything like that. With my resolution, people are going to move faster across my screen. So I have to adjust where I'm aiming my thing. And I went, you know what, in the future, Sebastian, just tell me to shut up. Honestly, I'll accept mm-hmm. that, mate. I will accept, just tell me to shut up yeah. and that I don't know what I'm speaking about in that particular moment. And it really humbled. That tiny thing humbled me 20 times over. And I thought to myself, no, you're right, dude. I, what do I know yeah. about it? Your resolution, how fast people move over the screen. 100%, dude, keep going. So I always remember that tiny moment. I love it. I love it. That's, yeah, team game, team environment. Um yeah, that's great. That's perfect. I, there was a question in chat as well before we sort of try and wrap this up from Wally. Thank you for being here, Wally, by the way. I appreciate you tenfold. Um, about what you think you do differently to other coaches. And I think this is a really important question because obviously in the coaching world, we speak. We all have spoken at events. People have made comments about what they think they do right or wrong or we hear rumors, unfortunately. That's the nature of the industry. Um, about what people do or do not do, and some are true or untrue. Um, what do you think you do with your team that differentiates yourself from others? Um, I think uh, the first thing, it's hard to say now because I think that we are more efficient than any other team. Okay. The way that we go about our information, I can't say that we necessarily work harder than any other team Mm -hmm. that's kind of like a weird blanket statement i also know of other teams who put in more time than we do but i believe we're more efficient than they are Mm -hmm. um 
I think that we take timeouts better than any other team that I've ever seen. I hardly ever find um, look like watch games where I'm like, damn, that was a really good timeout. Yeah. But I feel like after I take them sometimes that I feel that way. Mm -hmm. um, I obviously know the situation more because I'm in the comms and so I can understand why it's happening. I do think our pick ban is um, more strategic than others, mm -hmm. but um, it's hard to go into the specifics of why all those things are. So it's a very good question, but hard to answer question. Uh, why we're more efficient, um, I think is mostly because we spend every day scrimming with a particular goal in mind. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a big controversial thing is like whether teams like no ban, I, the no ban in scrims. And I don't know if people understand what that means. Basically, when you're scrimming another team, you obviously put your bans in at the beginning of the map that you go into. There are teams that don't put bans in. And they do it for their own reasons. And I can't really speculate because I don't understand it. But um, we always are banning very for a very specific reason. Like, let's pretend we're preparing against this team. Yep. Or let's say that, like, this team's our next match. Or let's try to take out one of our best operators here mm -hmm. and let's ban something we use as a crutch. Or, you know, like, everything we do has a purpose. And constantly, like, mid, like between the rounds, um, we've actually tried to stop a lot of the talk that happens after the round because mm -hmm. we're trying... We've tried to make our system as much like it's a match. And a lot of times during scrims, right after the round ends, then you start this whole debrief on either what went wrong or right. And then like, now one guy picked the wrong operator. We went to the wrong site. Yes. Like we don't have the right utility. So now this round's a wash. So we try to cut all that out and try to bring it up afterwards. Cause there's always a break. There's like a five minute break where everyone's getting water, going to the bathroom, whatever. So yeah, I think that we try to be as efficient as possible, and I think that's something that makes us stand out. I love that. I, and if anyone, and most of the people who are in chat who know me, even for a week, know that if you waste a minute of my time, I turn military jest mode. I hate it. I think <laughs> I think time is the best and most you know wonderful currency in the world that you will never get back, right? So waste one minute of my time or brain energy, and I feel horrific i am i am outraged by it you know what i mean you know give it back i can never get yeah. it back um so i love that and i love that for you and it kind of brings up the point we brought up before about how we need to be able to give just the crocs you know just really concise digestible bits to our players because we want them to be even more efficient than we are essentially so i love that i love that you can you can identify that that's a strength and i think a lot of people uh confuse efficiency with sometimes laziness or lack yes. of ability and i want to point out very clearly whether you're a player other coach whoever you might be in the siege scene just because a coach is efficient and therefore effective doesn't mean that they're lazy um i used to cop it because i had time to stream because i would put my vods on two times speed and i would be able to touch type i learned to touch type at over 100 words per minute so i was very efficient at my VOD reviews, because I could type so insanely quickly, it didn't really matter. I even used to use the whole voice thing until Google changed the freaking coding of it. But I used to be able to talk and it would type the words out for me. So I'd be watching, I'd be like, I like the way that this and we need to change this and this happens here and it put it in really ugly. But at least I could change yeah. the formatting later. 
And I was like, yeah, cool. Now I have time to stream. And people were like, shouldn't you be doing this? Like if I worked 14 hours a day, then I'm an inefficient coach. Like who, who work, works 14 hours a day and can't get the work done in eight? You know what I mean? Yes. Like that blows my mind that I copped so much crap about it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that's one little tidbit of my sort of experience that I bring up and go, well, I would never want you to, to cop flack on that because if that's your strength and that's what helps the team, you've identified that don't ever stop it because it doesn't, you know, align with other people's views about how work should be done in esports or something to that effect. So, um, yeah, you know, I hate that. And I know there's some Ubisoft employees in chat right now who probably are feeling in the current climate of Siege the exact same sentiment given that they go to work for however many hours a day, they try and punch out as much as they can for the game, they get home and people are like ramming them on Twitter about you should be fixing this. Man, people have got to live, you know, they've got to eat, they've got to go to the toilet or something, do you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, that's a... I think I think a lot of time those people don't make any sense either because it, like a new skin will come out or like the event will come out and then they're talking about something that that's not their job. Yeah. So I think a lot of that is unfortunate, uneducated comments that are like that's just part of the risk of having your job, you know? Yeah. I'll say at the same time too they have like the coolest job in the world so they can just deal with it. You know, that like, I really think like developers have a really cool job. Obviously being a software engineer degree. Mm. I so think you that understand job's really it. cool. Okay, cool. Because yes. I don't. It looks terribly <laughs> difficult. I'm looking at this stuff going, this is a hot another language. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I think just it's just like the overall toxicity that's on the internet. And it, it's it goes through every different kind of uh demographic or whatever you want to say i mean i i see girls talk about it a lot about mm. guys being the way they are in voice chat i just think you got to remember i get the same thing and mm. that's why i was talking to you beforehand i don't play on my main account very often mm. because when i'm on my main account people just say mean things to me i'm not a girl yeah and i think there's people out there and it's different for everybody right mm. like if someone white swings me i'll say mean things to those people Ooh. i don't care what they look like i don't care about you know who they are, who, how they grew up. But if they white swing me, I'm mad at them, right? Yeah. But there's other people who grew up differently and rest their soul, however it may be, but they just hate differently. And I just ignore those people. You have to. You have to. You really do. Yeah. I, I can't name the number of people I've muted on Twitter. And mind you, I get it. I'm a controversial Twitter poster for, for a very good reason because we spoke about before esports. So am I. Esports yeah. is a business. For me, I could delete my Twitter tomorrow. And it wouldn't change my life at all. For me, I feel that. But because it's part of my business, I make it part of my business. You know what I mean? So I feel that that's a... I post some things on there that I I probably mute two seconds after, I'll be honest. I post it, yeah. get the impressions, impression farm, walk away, done my job, my sponsors are happy, cool, whatever, no problems. And it's Twitter's just a, a meal. Just goes round and round. And we post some stuff we mean. We post some stuff we probably shouldn't post and go a little too oh, far I've been but, there mm -hmm, yeah so and we've seen a lot of it recently <laughs> on twitter <Yes>. absolutely <laughs> absolutely um you are far more reined in than i um i'm gonna give you the props there you're far more reined yeah. in than i um i don't know if i can ever come back from where i am on twitter now but it is what it is um but i don't know if you have any sort of i guess finishing quotes with i guess the thought process in mind 
Um, and I didn't realize it when I first po posted my setting the standards YouTube video, like a year or more ago. I don't even know. I didn't realize it would get as popular as it did. So um, I guess with this in mind that someone might watch or listen to this one day with the thought process involved of can I get involved in support staffing or am I am I maybe pushing it too far? Did you got any, I guess, advice, I guess, leading out of this? Sure. Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I really do think that most people can do it as long as you set your mind to it. I don't really believe that. I mean, maybe not like head coach or maybe not analyst. Like, you know, there. I think that there is a spot maybe for anyone, even like team manager or something. You mm -hmm. kind of have to, like we said, find what you're good at and uh, go with it. But if you have a passion for it, I think that's like the main thing. And one of the points I wanted to say is one of the things you need to possess is just like the love for esports. Because if you don't, there's too many people specifically in this um like job, I guess, that mm. love it. Yeah. And and I was talking to my wife about like these points before mm. I, we went live and I said like you can't look at the clock and wait to clock out in this job. You, there is no you clock. You have to. Yes. <laughs> well, you talked about it. There's people that are willing to work 16, 18 hours. I don't agree with that because I believe at a certain point you lose productivity and it's worth it to take a break and come back to it. But there are people who will put in the time. So if you don't want to put in that much time, then I would say it's not worth it for you to even enter unless you're very good at it. Yeah. And if you're very good at it, obviously, then you don't have to spend as much time. That's just the nature of the beast in the world. Um, but I think as long as you want to get involved, just start at the ground level. I think that's a problem with a lot of people is like, how do I get into Challenger League? Yeah. Well, what makes you think that you can get into Challenger League even if you haven't done anything yet? Find a team to work with where they're learning how to even play too. There's amateur teams out there that mm -hmm. are very low leagues, but they don't even know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You don't know what you're doing and you guys can learn together as individuals. They'll get better, you'll get better, and then you know, work through like your mistakes and become better for it. And eventually you'll be able to get your probably only head coach job challenger league and then you can work from there i mean that's what luke was doing luke was a head coach of an underage team and then he mm. became our analyst you yeah. just gotta be okay with starting at the bottom and be okay with it not happening right away that's i think one a couple big things that some people are like well i'm trying to get a, a challenger league to even look at me and no one's even responding to me because they don't know who you are yeah like, what like what they're not gonna waste their time if they don't know and you don't have any proof that you deserve it just mm. start lower than that work your way up the second that people like once you start getting noticed then you like all of it's going to speak for itself yeah whether you're winning or losing your team will speak highly of you if you deserve it yeah and that's really important i think is that uh, you brought up you know starting at the bottom um i'm going to kind of give the other side of that just so that everyone's aware uh, more of the in intricacies of what Lycan just said is that if you want to go into esports, be prepared. And I say this to players as well, people who, are, who say, I want to make pro league as a player. Listen to these points very carefully. If you are coming out of school and you want to play competitively, you will have to continue to live with your parents. You will not make any money for God knows how long. 
the what I can't remember what statistic they brought up, but one in like whatever two hundred fifty thousand or whatever it was that has the chance of making a tier one esport, depending on you know who they play with, their age, etc. Um, you got one in let's say a quarter million chance of making a tier one position of of being salaried, right? So then you're actually that's your job, and if you can't accept that you would need to stay back with parents for God knows how many years to train and boost up and move up the ranks and everything like that and network. Um, or if you're looking at support staffing positions, because when I joined Penta and everyone who was support staffing back then, and I know coaches even to this day who are far underpaid than what they should be, you're not going to make a livable salary going in and having nothing already. Only coaches now who really have a standing for themselves are the ones who are making livable salaries where they can even put savings away on the side. This is the realism of tier one in Rainbow Six at the moment. It's not like Dota or League or something where money's pouring out and you could start off pretty low and start making a salary. Siege is not like that at the moment. So financially, you either have to move back in with your parents. You will never be able to afford rent, food, everything flat out when you're starting off in esports and you won't be able to for a very long time. So it's a very important um, point to make. Someone in chat also just said some LATAM teams didn't pay their players for years. And that's tier one players. I know of analysts who are making pocket money. It is pocket money. It is not. It is nothing more than pocket money. There is no way that because they are putting in full-time hours that they can live on their own or do anything beyond you know, that being pocket money. Some people do work jobs like of nights or days and vice versa to fit in analyst work or whatever. Um, I know of another analyst at the moment who's considering other positions and they're, they're, they're not even sure if they're going to be offered a salary or not. That's horrible to think that that is your full-time position that you're taking and you're not going to get paid. That's the realism of it. Um, so I think it's really important. There's also not a lot of job security and I know I'm, I'm making it sound like a downer, but I would rather be a realist with people. And I'm a realist with people whenever they ask me is that there is not a lot of job security. You can sign a contract for 12 months. You can be dropped before that. Um, you can not have a contract after 12 months. You have to be prepared that this is not, uh, there's no longevity in this kind of industry. Um, not often anyway. I think they said the average uh, T1 esport player gets one to two years max before that's it. Their career is essentially over. Imagine your career in esports being two years and you trained four years for it or whatever, you know what I mean? That's that's insane. To me, that's insane that you, you're banking it all in for a two-year sort of stint. Um, so, yeah, I I want to slap some realism on it. Um, I know that's not the magical thing that everyone looks up to in esports, uh, but it's a it's a huge realism of it, and it's why when I came after Invitational, it, that was a real turning point for me. Is I came back from Invitational, and I went, I need to diversify myself. I need to stream. I need to have a YouTube. I need to have whatever else I need to have as a a coach to, you know, set myself up a sort of safety net essentially, um, and. I know you do it as well. You've got your stream. You've got multiple other avenues of sort of uh, getting your name out there, etc. You're not just all in one sort of bucket. Um, and that's important for players as well because I'm going to use Pengu as an example. And I'm going to use Bolo. Bolo and Pengu as an example. Two players in the world who, if they lost their playing role tomorrow and let's say no one else picked them up, they would be fine. 
they would be absolutely fine. The money they're raking in on Twitch alone, let alone YouTube, so we're adding all these other areas in, they would be absolutely monetary financially fine. I cannot name any other player who I feel strongly would be as financially financially sound for a long period of time based off esports if they lost their playing role. Yeah, I don't know about other players who have their degrees, but um, I know Bosco does. So right, yeah. It would, uh, I mean, for him, he could get one soon. Uh, obviously, with Corona and stuff, it's a little different, mm. specifically right now. But yeah, I agree. It's something that um, I don't think is talked about enough is uh, what's next. I think that's like a really good um, kind of, boot camp that a lot of esports players should go to is like a kind of okay now that you've made it what are you going to do afterwards because a lot of people like are like i guess i'm flying home and yeah. uh like they don't really have the next choice and they have to just hope like another team will pick them up or they're they excel at another game so it's definitely it's 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 a dangerous profession for sure yeah I, I I just feel, I guess, for those players who, I guess we don't even speak about now, who were ex-pro league players who didn't, I guess, then diversify themselves. Like, I guess, Zeronic's a great example, you know what I mean? He kind of took a strength elsewhere and went, I'm going to keep going. I've got something to back myself up. He's a, a bricklayer or something else anyway. So he still had a backup, I guess. But um, I guess in the esports backup. Um, and then I think about the other unnamed players who, you're right, they got dropped couldn't find a position anywhere else, had to move back in with parents or continue to stay with their parents, have no other backup plan. And now, unfortunately, some of them are working, you know, weekends at, I don't know, for example, McDonald's or something like that. And they're still trying to work out, can I even stay in esports or do I now have to go do some kind of standard work life or something like that? And they, they go from here to here real quick. And that terrifies me because you there's no way you go into that job and not set yourself up like in my opinion that that's horrible that's horrible planning life planning at least to to jump in the deep end and go i have no life preserver and there's no ladder out of this pool yeah and i think it's it's interesting too because uh i mean for the most part you don't want to even think about it or prepare for it because you want to say well i won't lose my spot I will like, you know, you, you have to have like, it's weird because you need to have the mental confidence yeah. in yourself that you won't, but you need to make sure at the same time you prepare anyway. And you don't think, well, I got this backup plan, so it doesn't matter. Because when yeah. you think that you already lost an edge, you yeah. know, and uh, you got to kind of like make sure that you have that, like, if this doesn't work it's I'm in big trouble kind of like mm. I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. You you have to keep that mentality. Yeah. 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 That's important. I think the last question we'll top it off here is from white wolf. He said, apart from the lands being canceled, big cry about that. I would have friggin' loved Brazil. God damn. I haven't been traveled the rest of the world, but never been to Brazil. And I was like, can't wait to go. And then boom, this hits. And I'm like, just my luck, but that's the state of the world. We accept it as it is safety first number one, um, apart from the lands being canceled, how has COVID-19 affected your ability to prep and work as a team? And I'm going to add on to that specifically now that it's been announced that this whole Vegas thing is happening. 
How has that been affected? And can you talk about it? Um, how much, I, I'm not sure how much I can talk about it. I know, um, obviously if it will happen, mm -hmm. it will be shown to everybody how safe it is that I, okay. that I know I have been told. So if we do decide to do it, I believe they're planning to come out with a video showing everybody oh. how the players will be treated, how the casters will be treated, how there won't be anyone unnecessary there, how they're going to clean the spaces and yep. make sure. So there's not this like, I can't believe you're doing this to the players. I don't want to talk any more into it than that. Yep. But I think that's important to say is they've basically, they've said, we're going to make sure that we're following the guidelines that are put together by the city, county, state, and if it does happen, we're going to make sure it's as safe as possible for everyone. So yeah. that's pretty much the, the lowdown I can give you there. Um, aside from that, I would say it's made my life a little bit better in a way because I've got to spend more time with my family because I'm not with the team. So I get to see my kids every day. I get to yeah. see my wife. I work obviously all from my computer. The big mm -hmm. downside from that is... If I'm saying something, I don't know if they're on their phone or not. I just trust that they're not, you know, and, and then isn't then that the worst? Just... <laughs> it's everything's so much easier when you're in person because yep. everyone's engaged, everyone's sitting there listening to each other. And that's the most efficient you can be, which is like what I said that I believe that we are um, the best at. And yeah. you only can be as efficient as you can when you're online because, you know, every once in a while you'll say something for so long and then someone will be like, wait, what'd you say? Because mm -hmm. you lost them at one point, you know, and it's hard to make sure that you're always engaging with them. And you can see when you're face to face with someone, once you've lost them, mm. once they start like looking up at the wall and then like, you know, they're kind of minds drifting and you can get everyone back on track, but you can't really do that when you can't see yeah. what they're doing. Um, so I would say that's kind of the only downside to our system. Um, we're very used to this system because that's what we came from the boys like we all kind of were together for the um si qualifiers i went to atlanta with them i was definitely sick though uh when i was there but we were all there and we were able to sit and game plan together and that was a great experience and then um they stayed together through the first split and went home and i was supposed to go second split but COVID happened so i stayed home mm -hmm um so i wish i could have been there they still we still were able to get everything done game plan wise i just think that we're a lot more effective when we're together yep. which i think everyone is too um but i i would say for the most part not very affected by by covid um especially compared to a lot of other people in the world mm. um but yeah we're making it through we we try to stay in touch we're actually this is today is the day we are starting practice again uh for next season we've been on vacation um since the end of last season we've mm -hmm. only scrimmed two times a week yep. just to um stay fresh yeah and uh this week which is funny because we're doing a charity event this week too <laughs> we're doing the ccs dbnl which kind of got in the way of a little bit of our schedule but we're doing that mm -hmm. tomorrow and Wednesday and then dry run on Thursday and we're hitting the ground and we're wow. working on next season. So yeah, we're excited. We're working and um, hopefully as long as everything stays kind of how it is in June, I'll be finally joining the boys for the first time at the Vegas house. So I'm excited for that. 
Wow. Now, can I ask, I have a little bit of like, uh, and I don't know if you'll know logistically, and I'm sure you can answer this because this can't be covered under NDA in any way, shape or form. Surely not. Um, is everyone, all of the organizations or the teams more specifically, uh, are they all like said, oh, well, you can all have your own apartments or is everyone in a their own house or like, how is that working logistically? Because if it was me and I was a coach, I'd be like, no way am I living in the same house as five young men. Like I need my own space. You know what I mean? I think that kind of depends on how the team likes to run it. Mm -hmm. So DZ has their house, obviously. Right. And from what I understand, they are also doing a house too in Vegas where we did a house in Atlanta and mm -hmm. we are doing we have a house in in vegas i don't mm -hmm. know like some people might have seen some of the pictures on instagram mm -hmm. um i think that's completely up to the team old rogue used to do apartments i think okay. that their lg did a house mm -hmm. i think it's really kind of depending on how much personal space your players want yeah and if the organization's willing to kind of shell out the extra money for everyone to live separately Mm -hmm. um i know there's like a lot more that kind of goes into it but i think that for the most part at least in na it's pretty much whatever you're up like whatever you want to do okay yeah is what it's kind of been okay so everyone will either live in a big house together and then they'll go to the office essentially for their games um to yeah. the studio and then you know back to the house and then they'll have a little common training area i assume which yes. i have a burning question you guys won't be able to scrim on land You'll scrim online and then you'll play on land build, yes? You can't answer that. I, okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, that's the look of like, I don't think I can answer that. Okay. Because I have, I wanted to know because it's very different to scrim online and then you go on land and your shots are hitting like that. Like anyone who's touched yeah. a land build knows it is smooth like butter. So. I didn't want there to be like too many discrepancies. Don't answer if you, you know, do the code of silence if you want. Yeah, no, I think obviously, even if said system was set up, there'd be mm -hmm. hours that you were allowed to go to said place. Mm -hmm. And um, if you want to do more than that, you'd have to do it somewhere on your own. Yeah. So it, like that'll kind of still be a thing, I'm sure, if like that system is developed. But uh I think that you're 100% right. It's different to play online and LAN. And that's something that I think the, the biggest point of this all is what the Challenger League coming in to play this Pro League team is going to have to deal with is the Pro League team is going to be playing year-round on LAN. And then the Challenger League is gonna, team is going to have to come in and try to play them on it. So that will be uh, an interesting handicap for, for whatever team that is. I know there's... Some Challenger League teams that have people who have experienced land, so yeah. they might have like good insight and help their team, but it's the game's way different, way different. Way, yeah, and I'm glad you agree with that because, yeah, every time I ever experienced it, even just watching it, I was like, whoa, chef kiss, that's smooth like butter. You don't, <laughs> you don't see the game at that kind of quality unless it's yeah. land build, you know? So uh, that's really cool, but... I have no other points to bring up. I'm glad we were able to, you know, investigate and discuss all of those key points because um, I guess the only other person we could have had here to pick his brain was Dizzle, for example. We brought him up yeah. quite a bit. Um, Shaz is brought up as quite a a uh, pioneering coach alongside you in the world of Siege as well. So um, if anyone's wondering, other coaches, you can sort of 
find out more about as well. There's Shaz, there's Dizzle, there's Lycan, of course. Um, there's quite a few coaches around the world at the moment who are pioneers in the sieging world, siege world, I should say. So always good to look to them. Um, I have no other points other than, I don't know, follow Lycan on Twitch, follow him on Twitter, <laughs> follow him everywhere because I, I really enjoy reading his stuff. So if you even slightly inclined to what i enjoy you're gonna freaking enjoy what he writes on twitter or does on twitch trust me you gotta trust me on this um but if there's any dying questions in chat ask them now you have 10 seconds before i rip this off and it's been exactly two hours this second that we've been talking for and i appreciate every single second you've been able to give for me Lycan. yes no this has been really fun i i really do appreciate you having me on here i like to kind of I can't, I, I kind of told you this through DMs, but I can't really do something like this. One, because I'm not very creative at coming up with topics. So like, that's a big struggle for me. Mm -hmm. um, if you'd ever asked me to play Minecraft, that's something that I like cannot do. I'm not wow. like that artist creative, like kind of thing. I'm very, right. like I said, I'm very like numbers. Mm -hmm. So um, I just see kind of things black and white like that. Okay. And I don't get very creative. But I like trying to um, give my point on different channels mm -hmm. to kind of bring how I see things uh, to whatever, like, your audience is. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy doing stuff like this. So thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I Like <laughs> I said, guys, this podcast isn't for me. It's not for liking. It's literally for all of you who are listening, watching, people who have clipped previous episodes and put things on Reddit, for example, or Twitter. I think that's huge. We're broadening, we're not gatekeeping anymore. I'm sick of this gatekeeping in the competitive community. We need to expand everyone's knowledge. And if this just adds that little tidbit, you know, 0.001% to the community, then I have done my job. And of course, you being able to pass on your legacy of some little way, shape or form, I think is really beautiful. So thank you so much for that. Everyone who Thanks. has been here, thank you so much. This is us signing off. Like I said, you can find Lycan on Twitter. You can also find myself. I'm Jess Goat everywhere. Um, I'm not actually a goat. Um, not actually greatest of all time. Um, my community came up with that. So I just want to throw that in there. Uh, but thank you guys again. I will see you again next Sunday. I'm sure I'll bring another ghost. But like I said, we ghost, goat, no, host, <laughs> co-host. That's the word I'm looking for. It's 6am guys. I have an excuse, I promise. Um, but yeah, thank you guys a lot. Any questions, this will go on YouTube. This will go on Spotify. You'll catch it later. I promise you. But thank you all again. Thank you liking so much. Thanks for having me.